Hello and welcome to another Office Hours podcast. I'm Kevin. I'm Aaron. And this is the fifth installation of our Preparing for Funding series. Today we're going to be talking about initial sophisticated investors. Excited, Aaron? Yeah, and we're not talking about fancy. No, sophisticated. Sophisticated has a very specific meaning, I think, within the venture world or really the SEC or regulatory world. It's a very sophisticated term. What do you think sophisticated means? Sophisticated means you know what you're doing. Yeah. You're familiar with the risks and investing. Now, if I dress really great and fancy and I'm an investor, does that make me a sophisticated investor? No. If I read The New Yorker and walk around with a cane and I'm an investor, does that make me a sophisticated investor? If you have a monocle, maybe. I don't think they've done a really good job in the 34 Act or the 33 Act, whatever this definition is, of defining sophisticated. So I think there's probably an argument there that if you're wearing a monocle when you make your investment, that you would qualify as a sophisticated investor. You know, I think that it's intentional that it's not very well defined. (laughs) I I, I really do. I think it's so that there can be some sort of leeway and can be a case-by-case determination. So we're we're using the word sophisticated, but the real word that you should be concerned with when we're talking about your initial investors, and we're again, these are your initial institutional or angel investors, not necessarily your friends and family around. We talked about that two episodes ago. And at this point in time, we're assuming that you've probably raised a little bit of money from friends and family. But the word you need to be concerned with is accredited, right? Yes. Are you raising from accredited investors? Now, let's just get this out there. You've probably heard me say it before. I don't agree with the designation or the delineation between accredited and non-accredited, but this is the law. So you are best suited when you do your formal capital raises of only pursuing accredited investors. What does accredited mean? So the definition of accredited investor comes from Section 501C of Reg D. Rule 501. Rule 501. No. We did cover that in a previous podcast. So anyone who's uh, listened to all these things comes from Rule 501. Thank you, Aaron. Of Reg D. An accredited investor would be an investor who has made $200,000 each of the last two years or $300,000 with his or her spouse or is worth a million dollars exclusive of his or her primary residence. So it's basically someone who's rich. Yeah. This isn't a podcast to talk about my qualms with that definition, but note that this is this is what exists. This accredited investor definition pervades all aspects of securities law. And anytime you are issuing securities, anytime you're raising money via convertible note, via safe agreement, anytime you're selling common shares, common units, preferred shares, preferred units, anytime you're taking on loan from a bank, you are issuing securities. And if you're going to issue securities, you either need to file or register those securities, excuse me, or they need to operate under an exemption. Now, the good news is there are plenty of available exemptions. You just have to make sure you're doing them correctly. And the easiest and the best exemptions all involve you selling to accredited investors. Only. Only. Unfortunately, only. Now, if you need to or want to include non-accredited investors, by all means, consult with your attorney. Consult with an attorney who is experienced in venture financing. There are ways to do that. But we want to focus this conversation on selling only to accredited investors because it will make your life easier. Aaron, we talk about credit investors who are investing in this stage. Let's separate this from getting to a seed round or an A round where you're primarily going to have institutional investors. Who are the types of accredited investors that people are typically going to find? Typically, it's angels, high net worth individuals. Um, Is there really a difference between an angel and a high net worth individual? Yes and no. I would say that all angels 
are high net worth individuals, but not all high net worth individuals are angels. You can have high net worth individuals that aren't in the business of investing in startups. The difference there is that angels are sort of known as the ones in the community that are willing to invest in startups. I agree with you. So an angel investor is a high net worth guy that or girl that generally wants to invest in startups. And you actually have a handful of professional angel investors where this is all they do. Most of the angels that we see on a regular basis, they're either retired or this is something they do in their spare time. But yes, angel investors, you can have high net worth individuals who are not maybe not that well versed with early stage financing, but they can afford it. We're seeing a lot of syndications, right? Like AngelList is a tool for syndicating. A lot of angel networks syndicate. You know, the angel network that I run, the Dallas Angel Network, that is a syndication. Most angel networks around town that we see are syndications. I think most of the networks, angel networks in Texas, to be honest. And what does that mean, syndication, Aaron? Just means that they open it up to their members and their members all decide whether or not they want to invest individually. And that helps with legal because that way you have usually one person or one lawyer representing the syndication or the syndicate, excuse me, so that each angel investor doesn't have to get their own lawyer. If each angel investor is writing a $25,000 check, they don't want to go hire a lawyer. But if you have 10 guys or 20 guys who are writing $25,000 checks, and we have $500,000 raised, well, now it might make sense to pull 5000 or 10000 out of that to do legal work. Yeah. And from, from the company side, if you have 10 or 20 investors that each have their own legal representation, that's going to be a headache for the for the company council. A counsel. massive headache. We want every company to be as prepared as possible to seek Series A financing. So the cleaner and smoother your early stage financings are, the better. And a key component of that is limiting the amount of names on your cap table. Yes. For a number of reasons. Now, if someone's writing a $500,000 check for your early stage round and your round is only $600,000, by all means. They don't need to invest through an entity and, and they can be separate. But the four guys writing $25,000 checks, see if you can't get them to syndicate. Yeah. doesn't always work that way, but worth exploring. Yeah. And that's going to get you sort of around the headache problem or the cap table management problem. Keep in mind, though, for the the limit on the number of shareholders a company can have before it has to file with the SEC, if an entity is formed just for the purpose of making an investment... They will look beyond that entity and look at the investors in that entity and count them all individually in order to calculate your total investor count. So that's a really good point. We don't expect the founders who are listening to be the one putting that into play. But if you're raising capital and you've got a bunch of people syndicating into a deal, you need to bring this up with your attorney to make sure whatever federal or state exemptions you're using, that you're not going to frustrate that exemption by having a bunch of people thrown into one entity. Now, Aaron, I want to wait to really get into how a seed round looks for another podcast. So let's talk about finding angel investors or finding these people. Where can our clients or, or our, our founders are listening to this? Where can they go to find angel investors or high net worth investors? All the sort of angel groups around town, Dallas Angel Network in over in Fort Worth, you have Cowtown. Down in Austin, you have CTAN. You have Baylor Angel Network. You have Houston Angel Network. I mean, they're all sorts of basically loose affiliations of angels. Some of them are more sort of buttoned up and they have a strict process to, okay, you can come pitch at our meeting and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, that that's probably your first go-to. So I think doing some research online, submitting to all those different angel networks, they all have online submissions. You might not hear back from them. That just means you weren't selected. Don't get frustrated. It's hard. I mean, I know in the Dallas Angel Network, we get dozens of these things every week. Make sure you're ready before you submit. Yeah. Don't, don't submit too early. Oh, yeah. I mean, because 
What you don't want to do is sort of shoot yourself in the foot going forward. If they're listening to this podcast, that means they listen to one, two, three, and four. So they're ready. If they've done everything yeah, we said, this to isn't do making one, two, sense. Three, four. To you go back and read the previous podcast. That's right. a great, great point, Aaron. Because a lot of times when we get decks submitted to us to present to the Dallas Angel Network, we're not diving into the company. We're not looking at the market. We're merely looking at how prepared they are. Does the pitch deck look clean? Have they clearly defined a problem? Do they look like they're near MVP? Don't send an email that says, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, right? That's just going to go straight to trash. So yes, reach out through those angel networks. There's also North Texas Angel Network here in town, Houston Angel Network. I mean, there's 30 or 40 of them across Texas. Also, go to pitch events, Yeah, right? Look in your local startup guides, uh, hang out at the co-working spaces, go to any pitch events. There will be angel investors there. One of the neat things I'm seeing, Aaron, is I'm seeing more and more family offices or investors that were investing into other things, more traditional Texas type investments, real estate, oil and gas, energy. I'm seeing these guys showing up. We had we had a Dallas Angel Network meeting a couple of weeks ago and this guy showed up I had never met before. He said, yeah, I work for a family office and we've just decided that we, it's time to get into venture. So I'm getting out there. I'm learning about these things. We're going to do a couple of small deals this year and the next year we'll do bigger ones and we'll grow from there. So I am seeing this happening everywhere yeah. across Dallas. Man, every meeting I go to or can't tell you how often I run into a private equity firm or, or a non-VC investment type entity or investor yeah. who's saying, okay, I'm now looking at this stuff. So I think it's a really neat opportunity. You know, Some other angel investors that might be in your uh, network that you don't know about it could be your friends, could be your family, could be business owners or former bosses or you know superiors at work. So don't be afraid to approach those people. It's hard, right? Because you don't want to pin something on your on your buddies or someone you're close to. But man, if you're not willing to pitch your idea to those close to you, you know, I, I see this problem sometimes, Aaron. People always think, well, I'm not going to ask my dad for money, but I'm going to go ask this total stranger for money. Right. Right. If you're not willing to pitch someone close to you or, or someone in your immediate network, then you're not ready to talk to angels. And listen, I get it. It's awkward talking to people about money. It, it, you know, yeah. Generally speaking, it's an awkward conversation. But if you're in a startup, you're, if you're the founder of a startup, it's a conversation you're going to have to learn how to have. But also, it can be a much easier conversation if you've put some of your own money into this thing, if you're not asking for some exorbitant salary, if you have a nice clean pitch deck, if you can show that your family was able to put in twenty-five dollars or $50,000 to get you going. All of those things, if you've taken all the proper steps to get out and raise a seed round, going and talking to angel, net, angel investors, it's just the next step of right. the process. And they'll be expecting it and they'll be ready for you. Okay, so let's talk about how these meetings typically go, Aaron. You know, if I send a deck, let's say I send a deck to an angel network, and for whatever reason they want to meet with me um, ahead of time, right? So, okay, mm-hmm. we're gonna invite you to pitch day. Why don't you come in and let's talk? Should I go in there expecting to get an investment no, after that? Absolutely okay. not. What would the process typically be like? That meeting that they're bringing you in for prior to the pitch event is to sort of vet you and make sure that you are actually ready to go pitch to their angel network. The last thing that the people running the angel network want to do is put somebody up there who's not ready to raise money, who's unprepared, who just doesn't present well, because that reflects poorly on the angel network. And so they just want to vet you, make sure that you're good to go. If they're bringing you in, I would argue it's yours to lose at that point. That's a great point. The way these things typically go, I think angel networks are going to go after you pitch at an angel event, they're going to go down one of two paths. One, if the angel network is organized and syndicated, 
and they want to follow up with you, they will get a champion behind you. Someone in the network will say, I really like this deal. I'm thinking about investing. And then they will start doing due diligence. Or if the angel network is more just a meeting place for high net worth individuals or for angel investors, then after the meeting, you will have an opportunity to meet with them and then follow up. That's what's been happening at ours for a long time is people make connections and then they have follow-up meetings. We are transitioning the Dallas Angel Network to be more of a syndicated process. So there will be a form of follow-up. But please understand, I know if we've said this before, no one's going to write a check at a pitch meeting. The point of the pitch meeting is to get to another meeting. Similarly, let's say that you have a really cool idea and you're, someone in your network says, hey, you should meet you know, Jane Investor. I think she might. She has experience in this. I think she might want to talk to you. If you were to get that introduction to Jane Investor, the process in my mind would be you would send a pitch deck or just a little bit of information about your company ahead of time, right? Don't show up. You might only have 15 max an hour. Right, 15 minutes to maximum an hour of Jane Investor's time. Don't show up and have to give her the background, what your domain name is, what the product looks like. Like That is all very valuable time. Send that information ahead of time. Then go to Jane Investor. Be prepared to give a pitch, but let Jane direct the meeting. If Jane just wants to start firing off asking questions, don't get frustrated. Don't get fussy. Don't go and say, wait, wait, wait. I've got six slides to show you here. Don't do that. Just answer her questions. Let her direct the meeting. And then afterwards, she'll set a follow-up. And if you send those materials to Jane Investor, don't be offended if she doesn't look at them. It's sort of there for her to look at if she wants to. If not, you know, you might have to walk her through some of the materials in person. Yeah, be prepared. Be prepared to answer questions off the cuff. Be prepared to walk through the entire thing. I mean, that investor's time, that 15 to you know minutes to an hour that you can get is the most valuable time because... That's either going to lead to a no, which is great. Well, yeah. Let me take that. It's not great, but you wrote a blog about this. Yeah. It's helpful because now you've moved on from this investor right. and you can move on to the next thing. If it does end with a no, do not be afraid to say, what could I have done better and who else should I be talking to? Thank you so much for your time. Send a handwritten thank you note, follow-up email. Really appreciate it. This isn't a fit for you. Is there anything that I could have done better just as I've, as I've developed my pitch? And is there anyone else that you think I should be talking to? Now, if Jane Investor does like it, the follow-up from theirs might be, I want to come visit you again or see this more in depth or send me some real numbers, right? Send me your pro forma, send me some of your legal due diligence or let me introduce my attorney and we'll start negotiating a term sheet. And we'll talk about the term sheet at our last podcast because the teaser is for early stage, the company would usually prepare the term sheet. And I would also add, if it seems like you're about to get a no or you do get a no, don't get defensive. Mm -hmm. Don't sort of beg or plead with the investor. No, no, no. You know, if it's a no, it's a no. And the best you can take away from that no is maintaining your professional demeanor and learning from that no. Yeah. Because this investor might know someone else. They want to be right. able to say, this person can take criticism or take feedback well. The worst place you can be in is, I don't know, or maybe. Yeah. You know, so obviously the best thing is a yes. You're going to get a lot of no's, but be okay with a no, be comfortable. No, again, Aaron's written a great blog on this. We'll put it in the show notes, but agree with Aaron there that a no is an opportunity to make a good impression. When you're getting ready to pitch, especially to sophisticated investors, watch Shark Tank. One of the biggest criticisms that I see from the people on Shark Tank is you didn't know your numbers. Right. Know your numbers yeah. backwards. And forward. I don't care if you're a numbers person or not. If you have revenue, you need to know what that is. You need to know what your customer acquisition cost is. You need to know what your cost of goods sold is. You need to know all of the details, You know, revenue, net income, all of that stuff, because they're going to ask you about it. Most likely, your pitch will be nothing like Shark Tank, but you can learn a ton from watching it. 
So it's very, very valuable knowing the questions that come out, how difficult some of those situations or conversations can be. That stuff will be really valuable for you. All right. So that wraps up what we want to talk about, what your sophisticated investors or angel investors look like. We have two episodes left in this series, Preparing for Funding. Next week, we're going to talk about accelerators and incubators. And then we will ultimately end up with your seed round, preparing your seed round. So in closing, please send us comments or questions to podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com. Our show notes are available on the blog, and that's at VelaWoodLaw.com. Or you can find the link in the iTunes episode description. Also, take a look at my recent blog series called If I Were Starting a Business. I just put one up this week on forming an entity, and I discussed the steps I would take if I were forming a small business versus if I were launching a startup that I hope to be venture back. So that information is all online. And lastly, leastly, not leastly, last but not least, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This is the Office Hours Podcast. Five stars only, please. Thank you. The Velawood podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, and Silicon Valley Review on the iTunes Store. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at